The man who the New York Times has deemed the most despised governor in the country. <laughs> Matt Bevan is with us with his hordes of hell. Mm. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hey, you know, with that kind of a teaser, I feel like I should be greeting you from the deep abyss. Here. <laughs> you really? Uh, do you your eyes are, glow uh, red yet? Have you taken oh, the mask off? No, I mean, day and night. It's 24-7 <laughs> now. I, I breathe wow. fire. I, small children are scorched when wow, I breathe. That is a, Glad to see that you admit is, that. Yeah. yeah. Now, you guys forgot to mention I have this manifesto. It's this crazy document that I espouse at every turn. It's called the U.S. Constitution. It's oh, what? minds explode. It's what a kook. Crazy. Oh, yeah. What a radical. radical. What a radical. Oh, wow. So you've got this constitution thing that you yeah. you are trying to follow. It's uh, the old thing I found. I've dusted it off. <laughs> I've tried to apply it in the 21st century, and it makes people's hair stand up on end. Yeah, so um, seriously, they say that you're, you're really uh, despised. Uh, although you are at least neck and neck with the other guy, so is the other guy just as despised as you are? <laughs> well, here's what's going to here's what's going to happen. It's a it's a good question. You you know this. More than two thousand years ago, Aristotle said, if you want to avoid controversy, you want to avoid criticism, you say nothing, you do nothing, and you be nothing. And if there's anything that has been the embodiment of American politics in recent years, it's the say nothing, do nothing, be nothing crowd. I refuse to be a party to that. This is, you guys know this. You've known me for years now. This is the first political job I've ever had. I'm not somebody who has kissed rings and backsides in order to get here. I've come here by saying we're going to make hard decisions, adult decisions. We're not going to kick cans down the road. We're going to rip Band-Aids off. And these are the kind of things that make un easy people even more uneasy and so if this makes me unpopular so be it but here's what i know the strongest economy we have ever had in the history of kentucky is right now and it's not just simply things that are matching pace with uh the national trends like lowest ever unemployment we have had in the last four years the greatest rise in per capita income that we have ever seen in history and in fact in the last four years, we have a, highest, the, a higher increase in per capita income than any state that borders us, including states like Indiana and Tennessee and Ohio that have been doing well. And so Kentucky, we're making hard decisions. People are bent, but that's okay. The people who are going to vote tomorrow are going to prove the fact that there's far more that are happier, which gets back to your question. Yeah, we're going to beat the pants off of the guy who supposedly is running against the most unpopular guy in America. How embarrassing will that be for him? <laughs> uh, you you uh, have people, – people are trying to uh, uh, say that you're trying to make this a national election by tying yourself to Donald Trump – um, because Trump is popular in Kentucky, I take it? He is, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's popular in, in much of America. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you, especially in the heart of America. But I remind people, and you all know this, you know this better than most. I, I was elected four years ago when President Trump was not President Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, when Vice President Pence was still then the governor of another state. Mm-hmm. The reality is this, everyone said the same things about me then. 
They hate the fact that I'm pro-life. They hate the fact that I'm pro-Constitution, that I'm strongly supportive of the Second Amendment, that I think red flag laws are a slippery slope and I'll have no part of them. They hate the mm. fact that I respect this country and our flag and our military and our law enforcement. They hate the fact that my Judeo-Christian faith informs my thought process and that I'm willing to say as much from a publicly elected seat. And so the reasons they hate me have things to do that they transcend the state or even the national level issues at play. These things have eternal impact and it bothers people. To that end, they have hated me since before this president came around. Now they say I want to ride his coattails. I'm honored to stand with this guy. I really am. I'm grateful that he's our president. But I won by 9% when every poll four years ago said I was going to lose by 5% or more. And we're winning because we stand for truth. And at the end of the day, the truth sets people free. Matt, you know that the reason why health care isn't done on a state level is because it doesn't work, because states can't print money. And because you can't print money, you're doing something that I think all uh, governors should be doing right now. And that is going back and telling the truth to people before the money all runs out and say, look, you were lied to then, or maybe it was just all, you know, ponies and unicorns that everybody was living on wishes and hopes. But you can't get these pensions because the state can't print money. And so before it goes completely bankrupt, we have to cut back. You've actually tried to do this. Um, we actually have done it. I'll be honest, Glenn. We are doing things. I, my first year as governor, we cut our state budget by 9%. Nine percent. I mean, it's rare that anybody comes into government ever, let alone right out of the gate and does that. The next year, the next two years later, we do a biennial budget. We did the same thing, not nine percent, but we cut another about six and a half percent. We've cut most of the fat out. There's still some. But here's what I'm telling you. In addition to that, we cut income taxes, personal and corporate income taxes by 17 percent. And guess what? In light of all those things, last year, Kentucky had the highest level of revenue we have ever had. We had a 200 and some million dollar surplus, Mm. the most revenue we've ever had. It can be done by being good, fiscal, prudent conservatives. These are the types of things that make a difference. It's something we need more of in government. And I'm willing to try to take point. You mentioned health care. I'm trying to lead the charge for Medicaid reform. We've not seen entitlement reform in America since the mid-1990s. And we are leading the charge to say that able-bodied, working-aged men and women with no dependents should do something in exchange for free health care. Because the men and women who bust their tails every day to give them free health care often don't even have health care themselves. Certainly not of the same quality. And so I'm being challenged by my attorney general. I'm being challenged by a D.C. Circuit Court judge named, I don't even, Brosberg or Bosberg or something. And, and so one guy in D.C. is holding this up. But I've had over 14 states now, Democrat and Republican alike, who have come to our state and spent days with us saying, hey, when this gets approved, we're going to need to do the same thing. Because you're right. We can't print money. So we can't pretend that these things come at no cost. Matt, I know you got an election to win tomorrow, but what are you doing in, say, 2024? Oh, gracious. Let's, uh, <laughs> I look forward to being back in the private sector at some point. I love the private sector. I love, here's the thing. I love America. You guys know this. I'm a former military guy. 
I love and respect this nation, but I'm grateful to the men and women who even now lay their lives out there. You look at this mission to get al-Baghdadi. You look at these people that are scattered around the world, and they do this for us because this land of the free and home of the brave was purchased at an extraordinary price. And I love it. I, I served with guys who are dead, who gave everything, gave their lives, whose kids have grown up without a father. And it breaks my heart. We don't even bother to vote. But I love it that we're so blessed in this country. But the danger we have is that our blessings are our, potentially our biggest curse because we have it so good. We really have it so good that we can afford to not care and think that it doesn't matter. We can afford to be apathetic. We can afford to not vote. And I'm doing that in air quotes, which you can't see over the radio. But, but this, this being you know, apathetic is our greatest threat. And if we don't vote and if we don't recognize that of and by and for the people means we better get our butts out there and vote tomorrow in Kentucky and in Mississippi and in Louisiana, but everywhere in America when you have an opportunity to go to the ballot box. If we don't vote, we'll get the government we deserve. And it's not going to be pretty. So tell me how the 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 lurch or the the sprint to radical socialism is being taken by good Democrats in Kentucky, because there's a lot of there's a lot of good Democrats in Kentucky. And I can't I lived in Kentucky. I, I can't imagine that state going towards socialism. No, it's people are offended. And I'll tell you, it's not just in Kentucky, but I'll speak for Kentuckians. We're offended by the idea of it. No question about it. It's one of these things where it's so radical. I mean, it's important. Let me back up just real quickly, and I'll come back to your question. I have appointed people who are both Republican and Democrat to top positions in my administration because I don't look at the party. I look at the character of people. I want people of good character, people that are competent, and people that are committed to serving. And people of that sort, they fit into both parties. But historically, that has been the case. The National Democrat Party is leaving people like that behind. And they're offended at the idea of socialism. They're defended at the godlessness. They're defended at this idea that everything is free, but they're still nonetheless expected to pay for it while someone else gets it for free. And while we're still heavily registered Democrats, and while there are still far more D's than R's in our state, they are voting more and more on the Republican ticket because they recognize that the values they hold dear are no longer espoused by the party that they've been a part of. Governor Matt Bevan, uh, the election is tomorrow. You're on record saying you'll be, I think, six to ten points ahead. Um, I think we will. End. Here's the, the polls show that we're even or slightly ahead or slightly behind. We're somewhere plus or minus 2%, maybe even. But I'm telling you, I think they're wrong, just like they were wrong four years ago. I think we'll win by 6 to 10. I'd like to win by 10 to 12. I'd like to elect an mm. entire slate of Republicans for the first time in history in Kentucky. Hmm. Best of luck to you, Governor. Uh, keep thank up, you guys. Keep up yeah. the good work. Keep fighting for the Constitution. Yes, sir. We'll do it. And thank you both for continuing to hold the torch and not allowing it to go out on our watch. You guys are tremendous. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Appreciate it. Governor Matt Bevin from Kentucky. All this week on uh, Blaze TV, we're going to be uh, going over the special that we did last week because you need to really kind of understand that special to get to 
the third one, which is a week from this coming Wednesday. Um, and this is where we lay out what's what's really happening in our State Department. I mean, I think you're going to start to see this. This thing is starting to come undone now because there are more journalists on this story about what happened in Ukraine. And I think the the Democrats are have a big surprise coming in for them. The question is, will we stop too soon? And what I mean by that is the Democrats have to be exposed for what they were doing in Ukraine and what they've set up in the State Department. And I'm going to show that to you next week. But what they set up in the State Department with the State Department and national intelligence, you know, people think when you hear the words deep state, you think of Alex Jones and you think of a star chamber. It's not that. It's well, not it that. might be that, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Generally speaking, though, it, uh-huh. is, it is as simple as this. One of the guys who testified last week um, testified that uh, he, didn't, he would not answer to the president if the president was going to change our relationship with Ukraine. Well, now, wait a minute. You work for the State Department. The State Department's boss is the president. So when you say the president was violating foreign policy, he can't violate foreign policy. He's the guy who sets foreign policy. But the deep state, the people who are there who are like, I don't care who the president is. We're just going to keep doing what we do because we know best. That's not our system of government. That's a totalitarian system of government. It doesn't matter what the elections say. And I thought we were done with all of that. Elections have consequences. So when you see what they set up, it's so far beyond what you think it is. So far beyond it. And the usual characters are involved. And it's not just about Ukraine. It's about your state as well. I'm going to show you how what they're doing overseas is being done in our own country. And we are being dismantled from the inside out. And um, I have a feeling investigations uh, will be launched in these states. Uh, Should be all 50 of them. But in these states against what we're going to expose next Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. All right. Uh, If you missed earlier on today's show, uh, we talked about Kanye West and the Third Great Awakening. I think it is happening. Now, they need to call a witness to a Florida murder. Police in Florida are investigating... A a murder, uh, Sylvia Crespo, she was 32. She was killed by a spear to the chest at a home in Florida, north of Miami, in July. Now, her husband is is portraying this as a mysterious accident. I'm not not sure how an accident happens where your wife is impaled on a spear. (laughs) <laughs> but those tricksy spear impaling accidents haven't they all happened to all 
heaven to all of us. Well, here's the problem. Uh, they haven't been able to solve this, but it, it occurred in the main bedroom. And um, apparently, Amazon Echo was recording. Hmm. Uh, it, it may have recorded something relevant during the um, the argument uh, that uh, happened right before the accident. Now, did somebody call on the Amazon Echo in that way that we're supposed to that sets it off, or did it just record everything we're that happened? Not in there? really sure. Not really sure. But now we huh. now they're going after police are saying we need the audio recording from Amazon to prove this murder. And people are going to be for that. Of course they are. They're going to love that. Spear accidents don't usually happen. Right. But what is Amazon doing in all of our homes? Exactly. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Mr. Jason Wright, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, best-selling author, some of my favorite books, uh, one of them is the Wednesday letters. What was the other one, Jason, that you wrote that I love so much? Recovering Charles. About yeah, the Recovering down Charles. In New Orleans. I love that one, Recovering Charles. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And uh, also uh, he wrote uh, Christmas Jars, which you wrote that, I don't know how many years ago, became an instant uh, bestseller. Um, that was 2005, yeah. Wow, it seems like a million years ago, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, it's this great story about... Christmas jars, and we used to all have jars where we would put our change into those jars. And tell the story here, Jason. Well, we used to put our change in those jars, and then we'd use it for ice cream money or movie night or, uh, you know, a trip to Disney if it got big enough. And now, now because of this little book and because of your support, Glenn, you know, you mentioned it became an instant bestseller. Well, sort of, but really because you had me on the air and uh, you read the first chapter. I'll never forget tuning in and you're halfway through the first chapter of the book. And it just, thank you. I just, I I, I didn't want to end this call today without saying you're the reason that we're here. You're the reason we're having this discussion tonight. You're the reason that, that we have a movie. So thank you. But this is about not just a jar on the counter that you put your spare change in. It's about thinking about the needs of other people, what this beautiful holiday really means. Christmas is not a 24 hour event. It is how we live. It's how we remember the savior of the world every day. And then during the holidays, Find someone in your circle of influence, work, church, your community, uh, your neighbor, to give that jar of money away. And it's not just the money in the jar that will change their life, as I've heard from thousands of people since 05, but it is the message that they were not alone. So you have Christmas jars, the movie. uh, It's a Fathom event, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it? You're correct. Yeah, Yeah. it's a Fathom event. Tonight. uh, Tonight, tonight only, as you know, because I know you've had some uh, some events with Fathom in the past. It's a one night only experience. They're so good at creating. It's not, it's not just a movie. It's really an experience for the community to come together and to experience this with friends and family and loved ones. And there's some bonus content at the end of the movie. Uh, stick around. There's about 20 minutes. Some really, really fun stuff. And uh, I, I promise you, in fact, gosh, I've said this before in a couple of uh, local interviews, but it's maybe blasphemy for me to say that the movie is maybe better than the book. It is so 
It's beautiful, Glenn. Really, Glenn. If you if you don't cry, oh, that's um, not a that's, you, that's not. Please, that's he cries uh, at Kleenex commercials. Think, <laughs> <I'll take that. laughs> you seek medical attention. I'm serious. It is it is so beautiful, um, and I I just. I can't say enough about Muse, the studio that made this thing. They're phenomenal. BYU TV came in as a partner to help get us over the finish line after 5,100, I did the math during the break, 5,144 days since I took my first meeting on the movie. That gets us to tonight. And thank you. And to so many of your listeners, by the way, so many of these jar stories that have come into ChristmasJars.com, so many of those stories reference, I heard you on Beck, or mm. I saw you on The Blaze. And I just, I'm grateful to your audience for helping not just make the thing a hit, but making it a movement. So we, we try to do a family thing uh, on Mondays. So I think we're going to go out to a Fathom uh, and find the Fathom uh, Theater tonight and watch uh, Christmas jars as a family. So I'll let you know tomorrow. Um, where Please is, uh, uh, tell me what, how the Christmas jars has changed because I don't have a change jar anymore. Cause I don't, I don't usually have change cause I don't carry money. I carry my, my, my debit card. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I actually hear that quite a bit from people. Um, one option is to, um, well, when you do, particularly during the holidays, when you hit the when you hit the convenience store, the laundromat, wherever you are making some smaller dollar purchases where you might pull a $5 bill out to capture that change. I had a lady come up to me a few weeks ago and, and kind of say the same thing. She uses a, a PayPal card, actually, almost exclusively all year long. And then she goes to the ATM and she takes $100 in cash. She goes to the bank. She gets coins. She puts it in a jar. And she, like, apologized as if she were doing it wrong. And I said, look, sister, there's no right way or wrong way to give the jar away. There's just kind of your way, you know, however the Beck and Beck, Glenn, you've told some of your stories about giving jars away, particularly when you had little ones at home. And uh, it's beautiful. It's your way. It's however your family feels like is the best way to do it. Yeah, we we love it. We absolutely love it. We take the uh, Christmas jars, uh, especially when the kids were younger and, um, you know, they would be filled with coins and dollars and everything else. And you just, you know, knock and run. Uh, And it is it's so fantastic. You know, you find this family that, you know, is struggling and you just leave the Christmas jar up on their porch. You don't you don't necessarily go buy something for them because you don't know that, you know, what they really need might be just a turkey. It might be something to eat, might be something special that you don't know of. So we really like to do the the knock and run with the with the Christmas jar. It's a great great family tradition. And you can watch the Fathom event movie tonight and tonight only. Uh would you just go to christmasjars.com and find out where the Fathom theater would be around you? Yep, christmasjars.com will give you ticket information, fathomevents.com. You just punch in your zip code, it'll tell you the closest theater. It's about 830 some odd, so hopefully it's close. Are close enough for most of you. Uh, if it's sold out, make some noise at the box office and say, hey, is there any way to get an encore tomorrow night or something? And and then stay tuned because I suspect uh, that there might be other opportunities to see it closer <laughs> to Christmas in other ways. But I suspect I thank as you well. again to you and to, to everyone listening who has, uh, has turned this into something that has been one of the greatest blessings of my life is to see this uh, turn into a grassroots movement that can't be stopped. 
Jason Wright. The name of the book is Christmas Jars. And the movie, by the same name, happening tonight only at a Fathom uh, Theater near you. Just go to FathomEvents.com or go to ChristmasJars.com, and uh, they'll give you all the ticket information. Jason, best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. So glad you're here. Pat Gray filling in for uh, Mr. Stu Brigier this week. Yeah. Uh, d- did you see Governor, Cu- Governor Cuomo from New York brought mm-hmm. up an incredible point mm-hmm. over the weekend on NBC? Um, I guess it, it hasn't rained in New York much. No, like ha- not heavy rains anyway. Uh, well, it does now Wait. because of climate change, but it didn't used to. No, I, I live there at yeah, it, it rained never, a lot. No, not before climate change. You probably lived there after climate change kicked in. No, they were so, saying that we still had several years before. Well, here's, here's what he had to say, and it was pretty compelling to me. All right, okay. Yeah. A baby and a family being rescued while you were assessing the damage. Can you give us an update on the flooding situation and what mm-hmm. you saw? Mm-hmm. You know, Ali, anyone who questions uh, extreme weather and, and climate change is just delusional at this point. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. We have seen in the state of New York what everyone is seeing. We see these uh, weather patterns that we never had before. We didn't have hurricanes. We didn't have nope. superstorms. We see? didn't have tornadoes. Uh, this is a storm that didn't came happen. up just overnight, huh. dropped about five inches yeah. of rain. Oh, my gosh. Because I thought, wow. I mean, I remember. They didn't have hurricanes. Hurricanes in Connecticut. No. Uh, and tornadoes well, not in before. Connecticut. There was just the one. Okay, there was one. There was one? Yes. Before 1800, there was one. So I guess you would say before 1800s, probably pre-climate change, wouldn't you? Well, would he, would even climate uh, change didn't happen until, you know, in the 1940s, 40s, maybe. 50s, 60s in there somewhere. Yeah. So the, between 1278 and 1438, there was a major, there were several major hurricanes to hit the New York, New Jersey area. Really? Well, just, but just that. Well, and then the one in 1635, that uh, I didn't know we had measuring stations. Uh, well, back then we did. We yes, really we did. All the Native the Americans, did. <laughs> I guess they kept very close wow. tabs on it. Wow, a severe well, they, storm. You know, they they didn't let anything go to waste. They cared about the environment. Exactly. Then it happened again in eight in 1667, 1693, 1785, 1788, 1804, 1815, twice, 1816, and so on for hundreds of years of hurricanes <laughs> in New York. I, w- those are actual stat. Those are actual, actual years. Yes, actual years. Actual years. So those are for definitely before, before climate change. climate change would yeah. be my guess. Would, yes. Well, yeah. Seeing that it's CO two, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. The stupidity of the comment is mind-boggling. No, you're delusional. Am I? Well, you well, deny. I, I have denied the, it. it's about climate you, you change. You see it with your own eyes. These these floods that we've never had before. <laughs> never had five inches of rain before in New York. Never. Never happened. Never happened. <laughs> well, a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> 1984, 1985, 85 again, 87, 88, 89, 91. But, of course, yeah, but, now but, climate change is kicking in. Yeah, so you get in a pattern never, it never happened before that. <laughs> never never happened <laughs> it's, before that. So hundreds of times. And, you know, if you're talking about so it seemed like he might be talking about New York, which was bogus. But 
If you're talking nationally, we didn't have hurricanes. The largest natural disaster in the history of this country was in 1900 in Galveston, Texas, where maybe 10,000 people were killed in a hurricane. Yeah, but that's climate change had already started in Galveston. Had it in, okay. Yeah, because they knew oil was going to come out of the Gulf. (laughs) Just the knowledge knowledge of oil was enough to trigger hurricanes. Yes, just the knowledge. Wow. We have to forget all that we know. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful yeah. and poignant. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Otherwise, this is going to continue to happen. You know? I understand. And Beto will not be around to stop it. No, that's right. He won't be around. No, he dropped out. If you missed it nope. over the weekend, Friday, he dropped right on out. I don't think the there's a person in our audience that missed that. No, I don't think I don't so think, either. I think everybody I think so got either. the alert at the same time. <laughs> If you were in a crowd, you heard everybody go, <laughs> look at this. All the, all through, it just rippled through the crowd. Can you believe he didn't outlast Wayne Messam, who last, <laughs> last quarter raised $5 in his campaign? Wayne Messam, still in. It's still in. Still in. Beto, Beto O'Rourke. Not out. Yeah. So so what do you think they're going to do with him? What What is his, besides... No, I can. Let me just put that in the shaker at the Sherwin Williams uh, place. <laughs> what do you think he's going to be doing with his life? Uh, well, they've already asked him to run for Senate against uh, Cornyn, mm. but he's said no multiple times. So yeah. I don't think he's going to do that. <laughs> he claims he's done with elected uh, politics. Oh, that's what he claims. Really? Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll just enjoy his billions of dollars from his wife mm. and uh, hang out at home. And rest a while, because he deserves it. Yeah, well, he, he has it. donated so much of his time. Oh, man. The guy is practically Mother Teresa with his donation of service to his <laughs> right. fellow. You know, he doesn't right. have to give money. No. That's how he serves. That's his gift to God. <laughs> which, which he's actually said. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, you... Oh, it's true, and it's obviously <laughs> true, of course, too. I mean... <laughs> you imagine? No, this is this is how I serve. I yeah. run for president to be able to get power. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds so humble and, Doesn't and it? so good. Yeah, it really and so altruistic. It's, yes, he's just a great you man. Took the words right out of his mouth. He's a great man. Which now you're saying that like it's not really. No, did that not sound sincere? No, it did not. Oh, I'm so no, sorry. It, yeah, it did I'm, not. I'm so sorry. Uh, when we come back, um, we're going to talk about authenticity in uh, in uh, candidates because uh, everybody apparently is looking for somebody authentically cool in the Democratic Party. Mm. And now, good luck. And <laughs> and now that Beto's gone, the authentically cool be. guy is. Is gone. Yeah. So, and he was so authentic. He really was in his coolness. Nobody more authentic than yeah. yeah. Can we also talk about your contribution to the climate change problem? May we talk about that? Which I I think was <sighs> you're exposed. talking about the, sal- the salon article. Pretty powerful. Yeah, salon powerful. came out with a hit piece on me uh, yesterday. And what's your defense against that? And you have well, none. I, you have none. Mm, you don't have any defense against it. Mm, Wait until the people are reminded. Uh, the heinous crimes against the environment you've committed. Here's the uh, here's the headline: Will post-truth politics be capitalism's undoing? And the answer is yes. Wait, yes, thanks to Glenn. Wait Beck. until you hear the post-truth <laughs> politics that Salon has exposed. We have that coming up next. <laughs> 